out your sermon notes if you want to follow the sermon on your phone at cornerstonealliance.church or there's sermon notes on the music stand at the back. And there are no uh, slides, so you'll need your Bibles or you can uh, follow along on the, your Bible on your phone. And uh, we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. This is the sixth sermon, I believe, if I, my math is right. If I can add 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1. Our sixth week in the sermon series on Agape Toy, the love of God. We've we talked about God's love from the Old Testament, and there's it's a it's a misbelief or a misunderstanding to think that God's love is only talked about in the New Testament. It is something that is throughout the entire Bible. And so we looked at Exodus, we looked at Hosea, Song of Songs, and those are only a sampling of so many different passages we could have looked at in the Old Testament to talk about the love of God. And then we looked at uh, God's love in Romans and how God's love is um, portrayed at Jesus' baptism. And then today we will look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 chapter 4 verse 10 is very explicit. Twice in this passage he says, John says, God is love. There are only a few times in scriptures where it's so explicit. This, uh, we're talking about God being, that God is spirit comes up at another, at another time where it says, therefore be holy as, as your father, as God is holy. Uh, God is a consuming fire. But here, um, John talks about God is love and he repeats that twice. And so this is the phrase that we're going to look at today. And it's also been very interesting in this study on love for, for me to learn that love has not always um, been understood the same way throughout generations and throughout the centuries. If you go out to the streets today and you ask people what love is, they will have a certain definition. And we have not always understood love to be this way. We just happen to live here in Western society. We were born here, and so our, our country, our society believes love is this way. But if we were born 100 years ago or 500 years ago or ages ago, love was understood differently. And so throughout the age, it changes. And so it's good for us, especially since love is so central to the Christian faith, for us to know what is distinctive about love specifically Christian love. Christian love is different. It has not changed. The Bible was written over so many different centuries by so many different authors as they are inspired by God. And so looking at the Bible helps us to get out of our own cultural biases and to see here's something that's been written over so many, and different languages even, even so that helps us to see. So we're looking at love from the Bible. We're defining love, not as our society defines, although it's not completely wrong. But we're honing in on what love says, uh, what the Bible says about love. And specifically, we're, we'll, today we look at what is Christian? What is so Christian about love? And what is unique to Christian love? And so, this 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is love. Okay, and we're talking about Christian love, obviously. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Basically, the rest of my talk is just going to expand and unravel that one verse. God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. This is Christian love. You know, there are so many different words for love. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And Greek was the common language at the time. It could cross cultures, and so this was a, a perfect language to write scriptures in, to write letters to, to churches, so lots of people could read it. It was written in a common form of, so I, there would be academic Greek, maybe like we might consider Shakespearean kind of English, or like not everyone would really get, or maybe no one. Uh, but this was the common, like what was the word spoken on the street kind of Greek. And so there were many words for love that Christians could have used. 
And you've probably heard this before, that you know, the love of God encompasses all these different words, and we can kind of put them all together to help us understand a better picture of what love is. But that's not really true. You might have heard though, there's phileo love, it's brotherly love, and, and there's eros and, and agape, and all this together comes together to form this love of God. That's not true at all. It's agape love only that we are looking at for to, be, to find out what is distinct and unique about Christian love. The early Christians, the early believers, those ones who, who, who walked and talked and witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection, they used this one word, agape, to describe love, the love of God. And this is very interesting because that was not a common word. That wasn't the word that most people would use. See, they, 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 had, they had to define love so that the love of God was set apart from all the different loves that are around them. And so they chose this word, and we think it was very common, but it wasn't. It was a word in existence, but it wasn't the first word that people go to when they want to describe love. Why did they come up with this new word? They felt that they needed to, well, first of all, they, they had come to understand something new about the essential meaning of love through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they needed a word to summarize, this is love, agape, not eros, not philia, not all these other words that they could have used. And also, the Greek culture at that time was so infused with eroticism, and most people would, would think this is what love is. And so I think in many ways it's similar to our culture today. And so we, we need to say that love is love, is love and, and this is love, and however you would define love, then determines how you defined God. But we're starting the other way around. Since God is love, let's see who God is, especially through Jesus Christ, because he's the exact representation, Hebrews tells us. This is a perfect picture of who God is and what the rest of Scripture says. Then we'll know what love is, as defined in a Christian sense. So there's all these different words that could have been used, and you have them in your notes there. One of, one of these Greek words was storge. And this word um, is is a word that is kind of like family love, like uh, parents have for the children and children have for the parents. And, and of course, they didn't have a nuclear family. Like we, they would have included cousins and grandparents. Their, their home would have been much bigger. But this is this kind of um, familiar um, family kind of love. And these are all, uh, this is a very good part of love. But this word storge is never used in the New Testament to describe Christian love. Even though this is an important part of love, when we talk about Christian love, it's something different. There's another word that was used that was very common. It's philia. And I'm sure you've heard of Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love. And, and you've heard of this before, I'm sure. It's, this, this is a, like a friendship love. Like uh, one man would have for his man friend and a woman would have for his girl, her girlfriend. And this is um, an, an interest, uh, a love that comes from common interests maybe or from uh, familiarity. And, and then you grow together in that kind of a friendship love. This word is used once in the New Testament. Just once. James chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, your friendship with the world is hatred toward God. So that word friendship to the world, that's philia. So it isn't used even in the New Testament to describe love, Christian love. The next word, epithymia. Epithemia is a word that they could have used. See, we have all these words, right, that we could have used. In English, we just have love. And as you know, love can mean so many different things, right? Like if you say you love your dog, 
right? Then you say you love your mom. Like, hopefully that means something different because your mom would be offended, right? Or, you know, we love, um, I love these, this, these clothes or I love these things. And love means so many different things, doesn't it? We have one word. English is very deficient in some things and we're deficient in our describing of love. Greek has so many words, yet they chose agape. So this one, one word, epithymia, is more like passion or desire. And this is used in the New Testament, but it's never translated in any of English translations as the word love. It's translated, translated as lust or passion or these kinds of things. So this word will kind of rule out as well. And then eros. Eros, we talked about this with Song of Songs. This is a romantic love. It is a sexual love. And it is often, I think today, what people think of when they think of the word love. Eros is never used in the New Testament either to describe God's love. It is not used to describe the love of God for his people. It is not used to describe our love for God. It is not used to describe Christian brotherly love or sisterly love or any of that kind of love. It is not used in that way at all. And Eros is is very different than agape. Eros is a love that is a love of, um, there is a worth in, in the person who's loved. So I, I find worth, it could be a thing too. And so because that, that thing is worthy to me or has value to me, I love that thing or that, that person. And sometimes we think, well, in romantic relationships, sometimes you, know, you see couples and you think, you know, I, know the, I know both of them, but what does she see in him? But we don't get it, but she does. And so it might not even be that the person or the thing is even all that valuable. But in the person's eyes, he or she or it is. Like the love is, we say love is in the eye of the beholder, right? And so in some reason, this person has assigned value and worth. And so therefore, I love, and it's, it's, a, it's a love that um, is a possession. Like I, I want that thing. I need her. Like, I, I, I need, if I don't have it, I will die. And I don't want her marrying anyone else. It has to be me. That's Eros love, which is completely different than agape love. But this is often how we define love in our culture today, and it was often how love was defined in first century Roman Empire as well. And so we need to note that this is never used to describe Christian love. This is not what is distinctive about Christian love. All of these words, they're not bad. They do encompass the broader meaning of love and, and they're not negative. They all have negative side effects to it. But we're talking about love from a Christian perspective. What is the love of God? What is Christian love? It's always agape, is the word that is always used by the first Christians in the first century when they wrote their letters in the New Testament to describe God's love. This is what we're talking about, agape love. And so I want to talk about this uh, for the rest. Uh, for, and when we go through 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, just to clear things up, I'm talking about nouns. So if you like grammar, this is the noun love. There's a verb love. In English, it's the same. But in Greek, you add o on the end. So agape is love. If you say agapa o, that's the verb to love. Okay, so philia, the noun, appears once. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Then the verb from phileo is phileo, and that does appear in the New Testament. So maybe that's where some of the confusion has come up. The verb for phileo appears for this brotherly uh, friendship kind of love, but it only appears 29 times. And agape, agape, agapao, agape toss, it's over 300 times. 
And so still, the comparison is really, it's heavily weighted towards agape. And the early believers said, we need to use this word to describe God's love as exemplified in Jesus Christ, because it stands out. We have understood love now in a new way. The essential meaning of love is this. And so I wish we had a different word in English to describe God's love. So let's not confuse with all the other loves that are out there, but this is agape love. This is what we're talking about in 1 John chapter 4. So open your Bibles and let's look at this. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another. That word, dear friends, is agape toy. And that's where I chose to the word I chose for this, the title of the sermon series, Agape Toy. This is beloved ones, or dear friends, or those who are loved, Agape Toy. Dear friends, John says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That's where love comes from. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You can see here that the love, the agape love that comes from God creates something. There's, there's a, um, a response because everyone who loves has been born of God and therefore knows God. Anyone who, um, there's a, this, in, this loving others, we, um, sorry, we're, let us love, dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. God's love transforms us. It makes us into loving people, and we love others as well. In 1 John um, chapter 4, verse 20, I just want to jump there for a sec because it's related. To, all of 1 John is talking about love. 1 John 4, 20 says, whoever claims to love God, okay, it's easy to say that I love God. Who loves God? We'll probably all raise our hand, right? Yet, 1 John 4, 20, hates a brother or sister is a liar, and so I'm, who hates their brothers? No one's going to put their hand up to say, I hate my brother or I hate my sister. Or, I hate the person in the rows, you know, three rows ahead of me. No one's going to say that. But do you know how we know if someone doesn't like someone? By their actions and by their behavior. It's easy to say something, right? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I love you, but then you don't act that way. Then do you really love the person? No, you don't. Your behavior, your actions show that. So whoever cl- claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister... So it's easy maybe to not hate someone, but it's a lot harder when you have to love someone because love is an action. If you don't love your brother and sister, look around you. If you don't love everybody here whom you've seen, then guess what? You cannot love God. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's how we know if someone loves God by how they act, by how they gossip or don't gossip, by how they treat, by how they forgive, by how patient they are. We know what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not keep record of wrongs. Are you doing that with brothers and sisters? These are pretty strong words. It means, well, we need to question whether we really love God or not. You see, God's love, his agape love, causes that. It's effectual. It makes a change. And if we're not sure if someone loves God, look how they treat other people. Look how they treat their brothers and sisters. Then you'll know, oh yeah, 
That's how we know. You see that there's the vertical connection with you receive God's love. He loves you not because you're worthy. It's not like an eros love, like there's value in, in me, so God loves me. God has everything. There's nothing I can give to God. This is not an erotic love. It's agape love. And then I become valuable, and then I'm filled with this love, and then I start loving other people. That's how you know. So there's, there's a response. It's not like, it's not a cheap love. It causes us to love others. You see, the Bible doesn't ever say that um, all you have to do is know God in a factual, information, head type of knowledge thing. That, that's not where salvation comes from. As long as you can recite the doctrine or agree to the statement of faith and you, you know everything, that's not what knowledge means in the Bible. Knowledge means that you, you if there's action, it's like loving. So then we know, like I've just said this before recently, demons know all the truth about God. They know, they've got good doctrine. They understand what's going on, but they're not going to be saved. The knowledge isn't what, so it's when we say, um, chapter 4, verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's that know in that really intimate, loving kind of sense. So if you're not loving other people, maybe you're not loving God. These are strong words. Verse 8 says, whoever does not love doesn't know God. Well, why don't? Why not? Because... God is love. This is the first time that appears there. Because God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Does that sound like any other popular verse that you see at football stadiums? John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is his, he loved the world so he gave his only son so that everyone might be saved. This is basically a summary. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the very core of agape love. And this is where the Christian distinctive, unique definition of love conflicts and confronts love as defined in our society today. Look at this, this is love. This is agape love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love comes from God, salvation is entirely God's work, but there's a human response that is required from God when we're loved. When, when, we love, when God loves us, we love other people. But in order to do that, atonement needs to be made. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for what? For our sins. Nobody talks about love that way in our society today. But this is what love is. In order so we can be transformed, in order so we can love other people as God loved us, something needs to be done with our sins. Like we're incapable of loving the way God loves if we have not been forgiven 
of our sins. That's a bad word in our society today, right? We just have to let people live the way they want to live and everything they do is, is fine. Some things go against God's commands. And so God provides that way for us to have uh, forgiveness, to be atoned for, to be reconciled to him. This is an essential part of agape love. We need to have our sin taken care. Our culture elevates love in, in such a way that we don't need repentance. We don't need to ask forgiveness. Right? We don't need any humility. This is not the Christian distinctive love. And so, so therefore, sometimes our culture makes love the ultimate. And so God is love becomes love is God. And so however we define love, that's what God looks like. Since God is love, I'm gonna tell you what love is. And so our society tells us what love means. Therefore, that's what God is. But it's the other way around. We don't start with love and end up with a picture of God because love changes throughout the centuries anyways, and it's gonna look differently years from now. But God never changes, and so we use the scriptures, we use Jesus as the a, as a basic, essential representation of who God is, and there we realize what love is like. And love requires repentance, it requires sins to be taken care of, it requires humility. It means that there is such a thing as sin, but it's okay, God is gonna take care of that. Because for some reason, he just loves us. This is what love looks like in practice. And so I hope you see how this is different than erotic love, how this is different than any other kind of love that might be taught in our society. Let me just remind you, uh, uh, eros is a love that finds worth in someone and then loves them or something because of what they do for me, because of how they fill my need, and I need that. And it's a I need to have that. So there, there's a possession and there's a signing value to that, but agape love doesn't either. God doesn't need us to fulfill any gap that he has or hole that he has in his life. So we're not filling a hole in God's life. And God isn't loving us because there's something valuable in us. He finds us valuable just because he wants to love us. And we have value because we're loved. Since God loves you and he died for you and he wants to take care of your sins, he wants to do everything for you, now you have value. The value that you have comes because God loves you, not the other way around. So the cult, the society, our society is very filled with eroticism and erotic love and it's, when, when that need is not met anymore, well then they, they move on and we'll find someone else or something else. God is not, do you see the difference between eros and agape? And this is one of the reasons the early Christians needed to find a new word. It wasn't a brand new word. It was existing in the vocabulary. It just wasn't really used that often. This is agape love. It has everything to do with the cross of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for our sins, and that God is willing to do that for, he will do that himself for us. That is agape love. Right in John, he says, this is love, that you would die for someone. Even that you would die for someone that doesn't even care for you. That's sacrifice. That is what love is. That's agape love. It says in verse 11, again, he just kind of repeats what he just said. Dear friends, agape toy, since God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. You see, there's, there's a response. Like, when we're loved, we love others. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Other people can see God. Other people can experience God through you when you love them. You should read all of 1 John. It's all about love. You've heard of John 3.16. Have you heard of 1 John 3.16? This is what 1 John 3.16 says. This is how we know what love is. Do you want to know what love is? This is how. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how you know what love is. And, see it's not just receiving. And, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. God's love is transformational. We receive God's love and we can't help but being transformed and being, some people call it creative. God's love is creative. It doesn't just stay with us as like a nice feeling, it ebbs out, it says, we ought to lay down our lives for brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but what? With actions and in truth. You see, action, not just words. Words are important too. But agape love is action. And it's a response because God has acted for us on our behalf and now we are react, acting for other people. First John chapter four, verse seven to 12, all of first John actually is all about this agape love. So just to summarize a few points here, love is, love is creative as some people would say, or they might say it's love is, agape love is transforming, transformative. In other words, you could say love isn't cheap. Love costs. Like, it's hard to really love someone else. It takes effort. It takes time. And I've realized lately that when I'm, when I'm in a hurry, I can't love. Because like love isn't cheap. It takes time. You have to slow down. And so, love is, God's love is transformational. It changes who we are. When we experience and when we receive God's love, we do not remain the same. I pray that. I mean, I want this for myself too. So even when, when John writes this letter, he's saying we all the time. It doesn't come out of English, but like he's, we're there together. Like I, I want to experience more of God's love. I want you to experience more of God's love. Not just to know it, but to experience it, to be filled with it so it transforms us. So it's just, we just love other people naturally. During Pride Month this year, I read a whole bunch of books, LGBTQ books. And um, one of the books I read, books that were affirming, meaning uh, fully accepting of, of the, the homosexual lifestyle and marriage and everything else, and others are non-affirming, which means, um, basically means not affirming with, uh, with gay marriage. Um, and so from Christian perspectives, all of them were from Christian perspectives. And so there's on both sides, I read lots of books. One of the books I read came to mind as I was preparing the sermon, and it was a book called The War of Loves. It's about a man, I think it was David Bennett. I have the book downstairs if you want to know. I, could make sure. I think it's David Bennett who wrote the book. And he, is a, he was a gay activist. He came out when he was 14, and um, his parents weren't believers at the time, but I think it sounds like later maybe they did. 
and uh, he hated everything about church and, and Christians, and he said, why, why would God you know, make me this way with these desires and then condemn me? And he didn't have any patience for Christians or for churches or anything at all. And so he wasn't an atheist, he said it was agnostic, which basically means, yes, something, or there's something you know, out there. I don't believe there's nothing, I just, but we'll never know what it is. You call it God, sure, we'll call it love, or whatever, so he's agnostic. So one day he was in a bar in, near, in Sydney, near the, the gay neighborhood of Sydney, and a friend that he knew who was a Christian, but he said she was different. He wasn't all judgy like the other Christians that he knew. And um, they were talking, having a chat, and, and she talked about God. And he said, well, what kind of God? You mean there's so many different gods. He was trying to be facetious. And, and uh, he said, I don't want anything to do with that. For the reasons I just mentioned, he said, like nothing. But then she said, well, no, I'm not worried about all that stuff. But she said to him, you can read his story in his book, have you ever experienced the love of God? And he was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, can I pray for you? And he said, well, I'm not an atheist, so I'm an agnostic, sure, nothing's going to happen, but whatever. And so in that bar, she prayed for him. And he said, immediately I was filled with this love, like God's love just filled him. He had this experience. And he experienced God's love and acceptance for the first time in his life, and it transformed him. See, God's love is transforming. And over the, you can read his book, over the years, he's, he has... Um, his mind has changed. He's, he's still gay. He's, he lives a celibate lifestyle now. And he believes that this is actually a gift from God because he could never experience God's love as richly as he does if he weren't celibate. So this isn't a prescription for everyone's supposed to live, but this is his experience. It's a good example of how God's love transforms people. It changes people. And many of us haven't really experienced we know it, right? We have the verses memorized, just like, just like demons do. They've got a lot of verses memorized because the devil would even use scripture against Jesus. And we know the doctrine and we have these things. But, but then it, you might realize, you know, I guess I, when I think about it, I'm not really loving you know, that person or this person. Or, that, that's the proof. That's the fruit. Are you loving? If you're not, if we aren't, whatever... However, we define this agape, not however, but how the Bible defines this agape love. If we're not willing to do that, if we aren't doing that for our brothers and sisters, then John says, you know, what does he know? He only wrote parts of the Bible. You don't know God. Don't you dare say you love God if you're not loving others. He doesn't even say, like, it's okay to like, not hate someone. No, no, that's easy. I don't hate you, but to say I love you, now there's action. Where is this action? Where is the proof? This is what John says. This is agape love. You see, so God's love is creative. It's transformative. It changes us once we've experienced it. The other thing I mentioned earlier, God, love is not God. God is love, but love isn't God. You know, it's easy in math, right? If A equals B, then B equals A. So if God is love, then love is God. It doesn't work. It works in math, maybe. Maybe it doesn't. Some of you may, whatever. I think it works in math. But does it work uh, in grammar? God is, the, God is love. God defines love. This is what is so distinct and unique about Christian love. There's a humility that's involved. There's a forgiveness of sins that takes place. There's a need for us to be forgiven. 
There's a need for our sins to be atoned for so that we can also love other people. We're, we're impaired to do that as fully as we can until we have that taken care of. And so God defines what love is. It's very easy for us to think, this is what our culture tells us, this is what love is, this is what it means, makes total sense, therefore that's what God is. We got it backwards. This is love. Agape love is always defined by the cross of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that God himself made for us and our need for forgiveness. This is love. He loved us. There wasn't value that we could add to his life. There wasn't something he needed from us. He just loved us. And John 3.16 says everyone. No one is, is outside of God's love. For God loved the whole world. And then, therefore, he provided the way for forgiveness of sins. There's, there, there's an element of repentance when it comes to agape love. But then it changes us. And we are changed from the inside out. And so... You know, Cornerstone Alliance Church, here we are. We're meeting here on Sunday morning. Maybe some of you are, are just visiting or passing through. Many of you have been here for many, many years. And uh, so what do we need? It should be obvious by now what we need. I mean, I think about this all the time. You know, when people go and choose a church somewhere, maybe you have friends who go to other churches. Why, why did you choose that church? Sometimes people choose churches because there's a great children's program. And so well, we went there for our children. And you know, it doesn't really do anything for me. But as long as my children are here, that's great. And when the children grow up and graduate, sometimes the, the parents don't see much of a need for church anymore. So they, they chose that church because of a good children's program. Or sometimes people choose a church because they love the music. And it's just, it's perfectly my style. I love it. Some people choose a church maybe because the teaching is just rock solid. And I just, that's what I really need. And that's what I really want. Other people, what, these are some of the reasons, right, that people choose churches. And they're not bad reasons. They're good. And we put, I try to put lots of effort into all of these things. But if we want to be spiritually renewed, the only thing that we need is this love. People need to know that we, we love each other, not just in our words, but in our actions. And so the, sometimes a, a good children's program or a good youth program or like a Bible quizzing program or whatever it is draws people in. But I, I want us to be known for our love for one another. Like you have neighbors and you have friends and they know you go to this church and they're like, wow, I want to be part of that community because you guys really like, like each other and you love each other and you care for each other. And actually this is what Jesus did say. He said, they will know you are my followers, right, by your love for one another. And so I would love people to, to want to come to Cornerstone because, not because of all these great things that we have, the great music and, and the great comfy chairs and everything, the coffee, but because of the love. This is what we really need. So how are we doing? You don't have to answer. How do you feel? How are you doing in that area? Sometimes we can only love because we, we can't love as, love as much as we've received. And so first of all, ask God for more love. Fill me, God, with your love. Help me to understand it, to appreciate it, to experience it. Let me know that I'm accepted completely as I am. God loves you. Accept to ask God, and it's hard. Ask him to remove any barriers and to fill you with his love. And then hopefully that love will just spill over naturally to other people. So if you're having problems loving, ask God 
for love. And, and maybe there's certain tangible things that you can be doing. Maybe there's an action step. You can, how can we love people here more? Well, here's one thing. Well, why don't you just do it? Put your love of God into action for your love for those of us around us. This is agape love. It's different than all these other kinds of love. Let us experience that. And I just, that's, that's what we need here at Cornerstone. Don't you believe that? Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't it be so cool if people, you know, I came here because, the only reason I came here you know, wasn't because we have great music and great teaching and great youth program, although that's true. It's because of love, and that's why I'm staying. So, let us love one another. This is why sometimes we pass the peace of Christ to each other. It's, even if we don't feel it, we just say, you know, this is, yeah, there's peace. There's reconciliation. There's forgiveness. And, and sometimes we have to put it into words before we can actually put it into action. So, let us love one another. If you can't, please accept God's love for you. This is what's distinctive about Christian love. Let me pray, and then the music team can come on up. God, sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp your love, but your love is so great and so huge, there's always more of us, more of it that we can experience, more of, us that, more of it that we can understand. Lord, we've prayed we don't want to harm other people and so fill us with your love. Give us love for the people around us. Give us love for other brothers and sisters who are part of other churches, who think differently, maybe who have a different doctrine on certain things, whatever. Let us love them, and we need your help. Fill us with the love for the people in our lives. Fill us with love for people at our work. Fill us with love for people at school. Fill us with love for those in our family. Fill us with love for people in our church. Lord, we need your love. And I pray that this church will become such a loving community that that's what attracts people. God's love, your love, as demonstrated in our lives. Lord, may that become true. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.